Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionised over 20 million bedtimes, with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cosy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. When I hear someone say the words, here's what really happened, my ears automatically perk up. I think it's because I'm hungry for truth. I want to know what really happened. I don't want to be ignorant or kept in the dark or protected from the reality of any situation. Sometimes the truth is in the subtext and sometimes it's not there at all. This is part two of a very special two-part episode featuring the best-selling author, television host, public speaker, and former CIA undercover operative, Amaryllis Fox Kennedy. Because when you actually understand the human emotions and motivations um, behind the future plans, behind why an attack is going to take place, or what what uh, uh, the beliefs are that your adversary is carrying that if you were to address might actually allow you to bring an end to, to an ongoing conflict. Those are the things that give us an edge in being able to bring an end to violence um, and bring an end to, to sending our own uh, young women and men overseas to fight wars that they don't need to be fighting. That kind of insight is just impossible to get from from wiretaps and from satellite images. So in my opinion, human relationships are more important than ever. I think of intelligence work when it's done at its very best, and there have certainly been many, many, many instances of abuse in the history of the United States and just about every other country's intelligence services. So there's a very, very real and present need for oversight and for, in my opinion, far more transparency and accountability to the public. But when it is done at its very best, intelligence work, really human intelligence work, operates as a kind of secret diplomatic force. You know, sometimes I think of it as, as the covert side of the State Department. 
because what human intelligence officers are doing is actually building back-channel diplomatic relationships with our adversaries, with you know members of foreign terrorist organizations, with members of, of adversarial governments. And those are the relationships that many times over prevented the Cold War from going hot, prevented nuclear missiles from being exchanged, saved the future of the world. I mean, really, with no no hyperbole, and continue to do so every day. So um, I, I think it's really important for us to to remember that when the president looks at options, um, the alternative to military force in many cases is the building of those kinds of relationships and the calling on those relationships to to find another option, to find another path to peace that does not involve the exchange of military force. Um, And in a nuclear armed world, um, that could be the difference between life and death for us all. So the stakes are really high. And I I really believe that the the human intelligence mission is is critical um, to maintaining peace. Uh, I do think it should be done with more with more uh, focus on on human relationships and less focus on um, military adventurism that came came up after 9/11, but I think that that shift is underway. Um, I think the intelligence community is reining that back and returning to their core competency, which is to build these covert back channels. Uh, to be able to communicate with and eventually bring an end to conflict with some of our most lethal adversaries around the world. I've heard about bots spreading ideologies over the likes of Twitter. And I know this is somewhat of a loaded question, but what's your take on technology influencing the truth? A loaded question for sure, um, or at least a very, very relevant one. You know, I will say that I have lived as a child and then as an officer and then as a journalist in many countries that uh, censor, openly censor their press um, and now their social media um, because of what they feel is is the danger of misinformation, um, but also because of the the desire of those in power to um, suppress and challenge any dissent. Um, when I lived in in uh, China, you know, many of my colleagues there and and uh, many of the the regular people that I met on a daily basis from taxi drivers to artists used VPNs in order to get around what they call the great Chinese firewall and, and access things as fundamental and simple as Facebook, Google, Twitter, Wikipedia, um, that were all shut down on a regular basis, um, because of the government's fear, um, that articles about Tiananmen Square or even things as, as seemingly frivolous as comparing, she, the the premier to Winnie the Pooh, um, were considered a threat to the stability of the nation, um, the power of the government, and uh, you could be 
you know, receive a knock on the door and be dragged to a covert prison um, just for engaging in that kind of communication online. And it is a very slippery slope um, to get to that point for nations. You know, it's easy to see the really extreme examples like that or like Myanmar. Um, You know, the first time that I was there, there was a newspaper called The New Light of Myanmar that had the most preposterous propaganda that I've ever seen in my entire life. And and it seemed completely laughable to me as a teenager. I read it and just thought, how could anybody read this and not just think it was complete rubbish? I mean, it was just, you know, the, the... fanged serpent of the United States, you know, those, those kinds of epithets all the way through the articles and you presented as serious journalism. Um, and yet what you don't realize until you spend time in countries that are slowly sliding in that direction is that you slide slowly enough that you, you don't realize that you're there uh, or getting there until you're there. And I, I fear that once we introduce any means of censorship, we're kind of like the frog in the slowly heating water where we don't realize we're boiling to death um, because it, it just feels like a warm and comforting bath. Um, and it, it seems to me that the, you know, the decision to, to comfort ourselves by uh, by shutting down bots that are speaking some inaccurate pieces of data or or seeding information for nefarious purposes, you know there there are plenty of of trolls who are doing the same thing, and the problem with shutting down that kind of speech is that. It, it it is very difficult once a power like that is instituted to prevent it from growing and growing until it's operated in an unchecked way. And what I've learned living in these countries is that you have to make sure that whenever you create any kind of power, um, you imagine it in the hands of of the the kind of leader you would be most terrified to see in power in your country because you never know when that leader will be elected. Um, and we've seen many people's experience that in, in both directions, on both sides of the aisle, their, their kind of worst idea of a leader um, recently in, in this country. Certainly for many people, uh, President Trump was that wake-up call. For many of his supporters, they have found um, you know, our current leadership to, to not be to their liking. And so when you allow for censorship tools um, to, to be built and deployed, you have to envision them in the hands of the kind of leader that would be censoring information that you find valuable. And we've seen in Putin's Russia, for example, that now, you know, even even calling the war in Ukraine a war is considered terrorist speech and terrorist speech, you know, carries a a prison term. It it is very easy to take the, the, the idea of national security and weaponize it in order to shut down speech that is critical of particular policies. And while it's easy to, 
to support that as a kind of comforting idea when when the person in power uh, is somebody that you support, I think it's very, very dangerous because those same precedents continue to apply and those same tools continue to exist and be available when the next person is in power and the person after that. And it's very difficult to ensure that every leader from now on, democratically elected and in not democratically elected, because remember, there are leaders, you know, throughout other agencies of government that are appointed, but still have access to many of these tools. It's very difficult to ensure that never in the future will any of those leaders elected or not um, use those tools to shore up their own policies and suppress criticism of of their own um, of their own agenda. And so for that reason, I prefer to see a completely free marketplace of ideas. And I know that that can be scary for some. Um, they say, you know, well, what about these bots that are being put into our, you know, inserted into our democratic discourse by our adversaries, uh, foreign and domestic? And I, to that, I say, you know, let them insert those bots and let us show those enemies, foreign and domestic, that we are strong enough as a democracy and as a country to metabolize them and to to allow the open discourse around those ideas um, to show how... Uh, you know, incorrect they are to highlight where they are not credible in in free discussion and free debate. Because when you discredit an idea in free discussion, free discussion and free debate, you truly kill it. Whereas when you suppress it, in many people's minds, you not only don't discredit it, but you actually fan its flames. People begin to wonder, well, why is it being suppressed? What are they hiding? And Actually, I think we're really doing our adversaries' work for them in many senses every time that we try to censor their words and and actually create more of that suspicion and encourage more of our citizens to turn to other sources for free information. You know, as, as soon as you allow... United States citizens to feel that they have to turn to foreign sources for free information, then you've lost the moral high ground that America was built on. You know, we are the city on the hill in terms of freedom of speech, free discussion, free debate. You look at Skokie versus Illinois, you know, the right for hateful Nazis to march in a, in a Jewish area of town in the United States of America protected under law and this notion of, you know, I, I might hate what you are saying, but I would die for your right to say it. I think that is an ideal that allows for the free discourse that prevents civil war. Um, and I fear that when we begin to suppress it, we are doing our adversaries work for them. Uh, a house divided cannot stand. And we're seeing the outcome of that right now. Um, so in, in my view, the best defense against the kind of um, misinformation that's being sown by bots is to allow it to be met with 
robust and open discourse and debate and be properly discredited in an open forum. I, I, I think history proves that suppression is never the answer. What, what would be your go-to news sources? Uh, that's a great question. And um, the, the answer, unfortunately, is almost no domestic news source right now um, really works for me. I find them all to be very partisan, some more than others, but it's extremely difficult at this point to find, um, to find credible news coverage without any kind of partisan filter, um, in my opinion, in the mainstream domestic United States media landscape. I try to go to primary sources as much as possible. And that means actually looking at the domestic press in countries that are involved in whatever situation I'm looking at. And of course, accounting for the censorship and propaganda that is often seated in those domestic uh, media. It's very valuable, for instance, to look at domestic news sources in both Ukraine and Russia recognizing that both of those countries have very strong um, incentives to tell, you know, the, the, the most inspiring and propaganda filtered version of events to their own populations in the middle of this conflict. Um, but reading both of them allows you to see what their propaganda lines are, um, to fact check each of them yourself. Um, and then to look for third party uh, sources that don't have um, national agendas as much as possible. These exist around the world. You know, there are journalists without borders or wonderful Bellingcat, B-E-L-L-I-N-G-C-A-T, I find to be an extraordinary organization for this kind of news coverage. Um, Bellingcat is a is a an informal alliance of um, journalists and, and, you know, regular Joes, um, who are covering news stories on the ground, um, or at home from their desk by pulling together, um, as many corroborating cell phone videos from social media and so forth, um, comparing them with satellite imagery, comparing them with, with, uh, press reports from um, media outlets and, and government announcements and comparing all of them in order to um, try to highlight what is is actually verifiable from open source intelligence sources. So I, I encourage everybody to check out Bellingcat. Increasingly, I'm looking to these kinds of uh, loosely affiliated uh, networks of, of journalists and, and citizen activists to, um, pull together and verify the vast amount of, of data that is now available rather than reading the kind of pre-digested, pre-chewed, you know, analysis that is being offered in much of the domestic press. You know, I, I, I like to, 
see primary sources. I like to see the initial facts and compare them to my own experience on the ground in many of these countries, um, compare them to uh, my own background in many similar conflicts in other parts of the world and do the kind of the analysis and the data crunching for myself. And then after that, I like to see what different journalists, you know, what conclusions they've come to. Sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're different. But for me, it's important to to do that analytical work and that analytical thinking for myself first. So Bellingcat is a wonderful one of, uh, one of those networks to check out. Um, Journalists Without Borders. NPR's Ground Truth Project is another really, really strong example of that. Um, and, and they have been supporting young emerging journalists um, on the ground in conflict zones in little covered areas of the world. Um, and more recently, even in, in uh, lesser covered areas of the United States, so that we are able to actually hear um, the impressions and the truth from those who are living it in the communities on the ground, rather than those who, you know, fly in for two days to cover something with very little understanding of, of the local context, um, who are so much more likely to just take whatever the same, um, you know, the same impression as all of their colleagues, uh, which is why we get such kind of monotone analysis often in, in the mainstream media. You know, my advice to anyone who asks me this is usually just to, to trust your own ability to synthesize information. Um, you know, don't, don't be lazy about it. Don't look for the, the kind of pre-masticated product, but, but go out and, um, and source as much of the information as you can think through your own impressions about the story. And then by all means, um, you know, read as widely as you can, the opinions of others and, and what their own analysis, what, how they digested it. And, you know, many of them will make points that you haven't thought of, but oftentimes when you do that, you'll see that in the mainstream analysis, there are really critical details, sometimes not even details. Sometimes the, the entire gist of the story, um, will be missed, not acknowledged, um, because in many cases, journalists are just writing a kind of cliff note version of another journalist story, and they're writing a cliff notes version of another journalist story. And you're, in the end, you know, playing, you're, you're the recipient at the end of a game of telephone. Um, and there's no need for that. Today, we live in a time where uh, almost all of the events that professional journalists are covering um, are unfolding in a way that can be observed by those uh, those with an internet connection. You know, people on the ground are are filming conflicts as they happen in a way that has never happened before in human history. You know, if you look at the cell phone coverage of civilian casualties in, in Ukraine versus in the early days of Iraq, it is just night and day because of the, the widespread availability of cell phones with high quality cameras. Um, and so we are seeing this kind of citizen journalism emerge from all over every corner of the world. And it's, it's 
incumbent on us, I think, to seek out as much as we can the kinds of journalism conglomerates that are drawing on that citizen journalism um, rather than just taking talking points from, you know, establishment sources. Those are important, too. You've got to compare and contrast them both. But, you know, remember that when governments are at war, um, they, they have an interest in in what people around the world think of that war. Um, whether there are allies or our adversaries, the defense departments in all of those countries and the, and the press establishment that works with them um, has an interest in whether you as a citizen of the United States or whatever country you live in, whether you support them and whether you urge your politicians to continue to provide weapons and, and other forms of support for their conflict. So, um, you know, by all, by all means, read those mainstream accounts from, from every country, but read them as an intelligent consumer of information. And remember that in the end, uh, the, the ground truth that you're getting from, from people who live in those communities who are documenting for their own friends and family, or just as uh, because they feel the obligation to the global community to share what is happening on their street corner, um, are often going to be the most truthful source that you can find, especially when you're able to corroborate it with uh, commercially available satellite imagery, five or six other video accounts from other social media cell phone videos that were taken from different angles of the same event. Those kinds of things provide really strong corroboration and then allow you to draw your own version of events rather than reading analysis that uh, somebody else has has injected their, their own point of view. Um, so that's what I try to do as much as possible, but it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing work in progress. I, I'm, one thing I would like to do is pull together some of the best resources within that kind of approach um, and make them available um, online for, for people who are interested in doing their own kind of um, news research and, and digestion. Uh, so if I do that, I'll let you know and what the URL is. So what's next for you? Uh, I just finished uh, a book that I can't wait to tell you more about for young adults. Uh, all I can say for now is that uh, it's about challenging them to uh, to fix the world that they're about to inherit uh, and profiling the amazing, amazing courage and accomplishments of teenagers all over the world who are doing just that. Um, I'm really excited about it. So inspired by the young people who are out there fixing the mess that our generation and many before have left them uh, and, and so proud of what they're accomplishing. So uh, I shall tell you more about that. Uh, watch this space, more news as I have it. Um, but the project that I, I'm most excited to share is an iHeart podcast. Uh, I think I'm going to be uh, uh, an iHeart sister to you. Uh, and that will be a weekly look at what is happening in the world and why it matters at your kitchen table. And I think this is so important. You know, one of the things that drives me crazy about our media landscape today is, you know, the coverage of what's happening outside of our country is limited to either 
uh, its role in whatever partisan food fight is happening between our politicians uh, on on a weekly basis, or you know, relegated to the 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 realm of old bald white men sitting in front of their fake you know bookcases as talking heads on news channels you know, using acronyms and foreign policy terms that they probably came up with themselves and only they use and nobody understands or cares about. And as a result, you know, most people in this country don't really think about world events as a, as a top priority item when it comes to what they care about and what they think that their representatives should care about. Um, and that is a real mistake for many of us because in the end, you know, what we don't know can hurt us. And we've seen that time and time again um, from 9-11 right on up through to the gas prices that we're dealing with today, right? Um, Things that happen thousands of miles away from home have very, very real impacts on our lives Um, financially, uh, politically, in terms of our security, and and even in terms of of our morality and our our spiritual direction as a country, for me the the chance to talk in a very kitchen table, let's just tell the truth about what's happening and have a discussion about it with common sense and nuance and no kind of partisan filter based on the experience that I've had on the ground in so many parts of the world that are currently affecting our own domestic landscape. We really jumped at it. What an exciting opportunity um, to be able to share those stories on a weekly basis um, and to be able to, you know, continue my service in some sense to this country Um Instead of breaking down what's happening in far-flung parts of the world for the president, which is what I did when I worked at CIA, um, I'm going to get to do it for everyone else. And uh, for me, that that's the only thing that could be more exciting than doing it for the president, him or herself, um, is to do it is to do it for y'all. So I'm really excited to kick that off, and uh, I hopefully. We'll come back and let you know as soon as it's up and running and and people can check it out. You've just listened to The Unimaginable. I'm your host, James Brown. Until next time. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionized over 20 million bedtimes with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cozy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Hey, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.